Hello, good evening, and welcome to episode 65 of the Owls Americast. Today you have me hosting, and I am not American, so I am very sorry. Uh, we've had 64 consecutive episodes with American hosts Jeff and Evan, so the only surprise to me is that this has happened sooner, uh, so I can't apologise. However, we are not totally un-American tonight. We have uh, Mike Laroon on the line from Portland. Mike, what are you drinking this fine spring USA. evening? USA! USA! <laughs> USA! How you doing? Hey, okay, Feeling good. Good. Uh, was there a question in there? Probably about what I'm drinking. Huh? What are you drinking, sir? So tonight, oh, tonight I am drinking the Scout from Incline Cider Company, which is their hopped uh, Marionberry cider. It's uh, very good. Enjoying it very much. Uh, it's uh, Auburn, Washington. Fantastic. Uh, also on the line tonight, we have our Manhattan Owl, who drinks so much American beer, he is now officially 60% American. James, what is your triple of, triple of choice tonight? Uh, good evening, Paddy. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say, just emphasize the Paddy bit, because in your excitement on your debut of hosting, you forgot to actually introduce yourself. Uh, so anyone who's heard me at the top of the podcast, that's Paddy Jones of Sigorcus, <laughs> New Jersey. Uh, what's my tip of the choice tonight? It is Death to Ego uh, by Alewife, which I seem to be drinking a lot of at the moment, principally because it's on my doorstep. It's a double dry hopped Indian pale ale, and it crashes together East and West Coast IPA styles. Um, I think I may have said this on the pod before, but it's, uh, it's a cracking IPA. And death to ego because I am supercharged about Wednesday's second half of the season, which is undoing any egotistical statement I may have made about us being a mid-table uh, team at the outset of the season. <laughs> I am drinking uh, a Bolero Snort. It's an IPA with orange, vanilla beans and milk sugar. It is very tasty. It's like a bit like an uh, orange popsicle, really. Um, and like Paddy, uh, like so did you say snort, Paddy? Bolero snort. Oh, snort! As in, right, as okay. like it's the, just me with the cold that's got snot on my mind. As in the uh, hoofed uh, variety from across the town in S two, snort. Um, oh, snort! As in oink. Yes. Um, well, there we go. Uh, as James did say, I am Paddy Jones, as you may have heard my voice in this podcast several million times. Um, we're going to head into the agenda. We got four points from six. Two great performances against promotion chasing teams, but is the dream over? We'll discuss that later on. We also talked to Matt in Vancouver about the Vancouver Owls group and how he's taken his fandom into work. And lastly, we'll discuss whether we should throw the game against Leeds just to annoy the Blades. Uh, but first, we shall start with the Villa home game. James, Fletcher and Hooper start. This is what we want to see from the beginning of the season, right? We want to see these two as our main top two strikers. What do you think? I know about from the beginning of the season. It's the it's the partnership I wanted to see about two and a half years ago, <laughs> um, and then then kind of horrible reality and the Middlewood Road training pitch intervened. So uh, so screw that. Uh, yeah, line up. Um, I mean, I think. Um, you know, we we talked last week on the podcast that we kind of felt like you know a fit a, a, an increasingly fit Hooper post Stoke um, with a resurgent Stephen Fletcher that kind of felt like a really good partnership, right? With uh, with Fletcher sitting that little bit further forward, Hooper playing off him, um, yeah, and it's. Uh, it didn't quite lead to five minutes of absolute delight because uh, it was all Villa for the first five minutes, but but thereafter everything clicked into gear. It did indeed, and uh, with a wonderful, uh, another resurgent player, George Boyd, with an assist to Gary Hooper within seven minutes. Mike, how was that goal? Yeah, it was the, uh, well, it started in the back with one of our loanies, so it's the Iorfa with the long pass, uh, George Boyd is streaking, and I think that what was most impressive about that is that, you know, he got that cross into Hooper, and, and Gary Hooper didn't overthink the moment he just got a nice tap straight in um didn't do anything too dramatic but it was just so refreshing to see uh to see that and um it must have been a thrill to be there in hillsborough to see that happen but um yeah welcome back gary hooper oh it was a thrill to be in the football factory in new york principally because i literally just arrived i missed the first five minutes uh which I was, well I, did, I was watching it on iphone on, on the phone on walking along uh, 33rd street uh, so i walked in and greg montaloni turned around to me and said yeah it's been all villa we're shit uh, and that was literally as the ball went over the top and boyd did you say streaked, Mike? Um, I mean, I know he's got a new haircut. Streaking. I, I didn't, it was a verb. I didn't see him in quite those He was terms. streaking. He was streaking. He was moving. He was certainly moving with pace down the left, and he? he? Broke the offside trap beautifully. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's what Gary Hooper does. I mean, it's... I, I, I like what you say. You didn't overthink it. It... it it's that simplicity that players like him and Fletcher, when they're on form, give us, which I, I just think we've been we've been chronically lacking for the last eighteen months. Um, and it was it was a delightful goal, yeah. And 
everything was uh, everything was turning up roses as we got started. It was. It was a bit back and forth for about 10-15 minutes. Um, Villa started to eke the way back into it, I thought, and then um, they did kind of sh- show the quality with that, that equaliser, and it was a fantastic ball by Green uh, for McGinn, kind of first-time uh, shot and, and goal. Uh, I think throughout the game, Villa kind of did show why they're currently like unbeaten in 6-7 or 6-7 wins the bounce now isn't it um, and that goal for me was a kind of a glimpse into how well they've been playing so what do you think to the goal I mean I can't really blame any of our defenders for that can you James um, well, it depends how you look at it so I mean look we we caught them I think I think what was very clear was you know we allowed Villa to play higher up the field and we, we sat a little bit back on the assumption that we could break the offside trap and that's exactly what we did with, with our goal um, unfortunately, we didn't apply the same rational logic to our own defence for, for theirs because, you know, they they chased down a, a ball over the top, which we, you know, we assume was going to go out. And uh, was it was it Green that got to the ball? I thought it was Greenish, but it, I guess it doesn't really matter. It was the, Green that the got to the was, ball, yeah. And then McGinn yeah, finished. Yeah, I mean, he, he you know he he just put everything into getting that ball back, literally as the ball was rolling over the line. Right, and Wednesday we were appealing for the goal kick, but it never crossed the line and. He did the right thing, and and then the yeah. bit where you probably can really fault is they were just sharper to that pullback. You know, McGinn was right there and knew exactly what he was doing, and Wednesday were just half a yard too short. So, yeah, he's a he's a quality player. Um, but as we've said on here, I'm 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 kind of bullish about John McGinn proving his quality because he's a player that Villa picked up from nowhere from Scottish football, and uh, we now have said recruitment team in place at Hillsborough who hopefully are going to go on and, and do that business in the summer for us. So, you know, him doing well is, is hopefully a good arbiter of the type of players that we're going to look to try and train on this year. I mean, how much do you think he's yeah. worth nowadays? Again, I mean, you're going for nothing pretty much. I reckon he's an eight to ten million pound midfielder. And that midfielder that Villa's got is, is fantastic. I mean, you've got old Glenn Whelan in there. You've got Jack Grealish, obviously. Uh, Green was a fantastic uh, winger, I thought. I don't know if he was a winger or a win-back, do you know? Even, even so, he was, he was very forward the entire game. Um, I was really impressed by that Green guy. Um, so after the equaliser, um, I did think the first half actually was quite even. Uh, we had a couple of good chances. Bannon came very close. Um, a lot of good moves uh, kind of originated with Bannon, but actually it was at the end of one. Uh, just kind of skimming in the post. Um, but overall, the first half, do you think it was an even reflection, Mike? Uh, yeah, I would actually take it a step further because I think, you know, aside from um, Reach, aside from Bannon, there was a there was a sequence there uh, toward the end of the first half and even extending to the second where, you know, we had three good shots from, from way outside. There was the Bannon one you mentioned. I think Fletcher also took one from a good 20, 25 yards out and then opened up the first half, we saw Adam Reach again. Um, and again, this is the, the Wednesday players doing the long bombs that we like to see, you know, over the, the past several years um that we that we've missed seeing in the first half of this season so i think it was just fantastic seeing these seeing them lock and load and go for it we did seem well up for it and i think bannon does step up his game when he plays against villa um and it was bannon that kind of uh it was bannon's hollywood ball that kind of uh, put fletch through where he was fouled by um What's the guy's name? He was, was, was in fights for most of the game with Hector, wasn't he? The guy that got... Um, oh, it was Mings, Tyrone Mings. Uh, and that gave us the penalty and uh, upstepped player of the season, most probably, uh, with 10 goals already and on fire. Did you think there was a possibility he was going to miss, James, or were you confident at that point? <laughs> well, hang on a minute, Paddy. It's, it, it, it's Sheffield Wednesday. It's a beautiful <laughs> sunny day in April. It's a must-win game. Uh, of course he was bloody going to miss. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was written in the stars weeks ago, um, yeah. Uh, you kind of wish that you know um, maybe he hadn't kind of crumpled under the challenge from Mings and had, you know maybe just kind of let let play gone and got the ball in the back of the net there and then because it it, it never felt confident somehow. It was weird. I mean, I've, I've seen Stephen Fletcher take you know penalties at clutch moments, most notably a really dreary night in December against Rotherham at home a couple of years ago and and do the business, but he he just did, somehow he didn't his body language didn't look right and it, it it's unfair. I don't like criticizing strikers for saying bad penalty because a bad penalty sometimes is masked by good goalkeeping, but it, it was straight down the middle, you know, it wasn't a high powered shot and uh and it was pretty easily dealt with, right? So um you know that was that and it it, it was just one of those pivotal moments you know Wednesday we're in the ascendancy all the way through the second half and that goal goes in Wednesday 2-1 up you know the crowd behind the kind of the 
the roar at the backs, the just the the the, the squeak turning into a sniff of the playoffs. You you wonder what happens at that point, but um, it uh, it wasn't to be, was it? Um, but I, I think you know, kind of credit to Wednesday before the penalty actually, because it, my read on the first half actually was that Villa still kind of had the ascendancy in terms of possession. I thought Jack Grealish was superb first half. Uh, really was kind of calling the shots in the middle and, and kind of, you know, really dominating central midfield. And we changed something up at, at half time. You know, we just got a little bit tighter. Um, we really kind of, you know, got the squeeze on Grealish. We cut off his supply. And, you know, that chance that Fletcher had was was probably one of three or four that we'd had at that point in midway through the second half. Um, and, and it just made it all the more lamentable that the penalty didn't go in. Yeah. And to be fair to them, though, I don't think their heads dropped after that uh, penalty miss. We still push forward. Um, and I, I think we still like the ones most likely to score until the last like 10 minutes of the game, I think, pretty much. Um, Bannon, I thought, had a fantastic game up to his best. Reach was fantastic, too. Uh, it wasn't until really the last 10 minutes where they started to creep back in. Um, and obviously, then 19th minute hits, full time, finish 1 1. Should have won, a bit gutted. But at least we didn't lose. Right, let's end of the game, right? Nothing else happened? Uh, yeah. <laughs> on on the forest. Yeah, point well earned. It was it was great. Yeah. Lovely day out. Okay. Should have won. Does anyone want to talk about anything else? <laughs> uh let's 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 use the time stone and go back a few a few months to when we were when we gave up two late goals to Swansea and two late goals to West Brom and I, that's what if, if anything, seeing these two late goals go in made me nervous that that was, you know, like in all likelihood the end of the season. But it made me feel like that was going to be the end of the, I don't know, the, the end of the feel-good part of the season. Um, we'll get to that when we talk about Forest game. But no, that, that was my biggest my biggest fear was that those goals were going to be more than just, just the loss. Um, but yeah. yeah. We should talk in seriousness about what changed, right? So it, it wasn't even the last ten minutes, buddy. It was kind of it was the last six or seven, and the difference was Bannon going off. Um, you know, he he pulled up, he went went off, and and that at that point, all of a sudden, Grealish came back into the game. Um, you know, we we started to sit a little bit deeper. He started kind of you know creating a couple of opportunities for them, um, and it's kind of it's it's heartbreaking actually the way they scored. Their, you know, I, I, I was going to say the winner, but their second goal because of that crazy thing that happened after that. But you know, it, it, Grealish kind of unlocks us, but Westwood makes the save. He's just he's just not quite quick enough to the rebound from Adoma. Um, but you know, in, in any other circumstance, that ball pings away to safety, and it is one-one. So I don't I don't I don't feel like it was a loss. I know we lost the game. I know we kind of we switched off in the ninety-fourth minute, whatever it was. But I feel like the team did the work to earn a draw there. Um, and you know maybe you give Villa that added bit of credit for just really you know pushing it all the way to the last. And to refer to the Wednesday fans, I thought I mean I didn't go straight on Twitter afterwards. Uh, I was too busy crying in the toilet. Um, but I did think we gave the players the respect that they ne- needed after that. Uh, and I think that might have played into what happened next against Forest because everyone that I saw. Uh, both Villa and Wednesday alike said we should have won that game, and we were it's one of the best performances, especially the second half performances I've seen us put in all season against a very good side. Um, so I think it's credit for to the crowd, the fans afterwards, the way we reacted to that loss. Uh, obviously, we were all gutted. Obviously, it was a massive game. No one I saw blamed Fletcher. I mean, I was only looking at the corner of the internet was pretty positive at that time. Um, but it's just it's just how hot football is, right? That's that's what we love about it. It's unpredictable. It can change in a in a, in a heartbeat. Uh, it's just sometimes we'd like to be on the positive side of things rather than the negative side of things, wouldn't we? Anyway, let's get back onto positive side of things and talk about our reaction to that gutting loss uh, on Tuesday night against Nottingham Forest. Um, it didn't really start so positive with the lineup, did it, James? <laughs> Well, I, um, no. Uh, li- listen. Um, so what we have to accept here is that we're all armchair football fans, right? So um, you know, all of us uh, when we saw the lineup uh, basically said, "Is Yoss back in the building? Um, did, were, were the last four months kind of a complete, you know, aberration and and one of those kind of weird sort of uh, you know dream sequences in a film that uh, just 
everything felt good and, and now we're back to horrible reality as uh, the back four contained both Morgan Fox and Liam Palmer again for the first time in a while and uh, midfield included Marco Matthias, uh, Adam Reach, uh, Joey Pelopesi and who the hell else was playing? Uh, oh, George Boyd. And Lucas Shaw made a, a remarkable comeback from absolutely nowhere to replace Gary Hooper in the starting lineup. So yeah, all of us armchair fans, you know, rushed to uh, to Twitter to uh, to say, well, that doesn't look very good, and to uh, to lament the lack of strength and depth in the squad. Immediately followed by a performance which proved that we don't know what the hell we're talking about when we have a good coaching staff in place. And let's talk about that coaching staff because. Uh... They've made these bit part players, which were the butt of most people's jokes for the first half of the season, into, again, I think it was almost a better performance than against Villa. Uh, mainly because, I, well, I'm not saying mainly. I think Forest is obviously a poorer side. Um, but some of the link-up play, uh, without our best player in, in the side, without several best players in the side, uh, was mouth-watering at times, Mike. Uh, and we set... Like up pretty quickly with uh, a fantastic move which gave Joao a header. I think it was Reach that played in Matthias, who squared it. Uh, just, just a great move from the start. Yeah, the, the, just the touches at the, those first few sequences. We have Reach to Matthias with the Joao header that just went ro- just went off a little bit. Then you had Reach to Joao to Fletcher, and that one was just deflected. That's one that resulted in the corner kick, and even that corner kick, you know where Matthias got to, to let one rip because he got the, this nice touch from Hector. So, And it's almost like we're talking about Gary Hooper um, in his first goal where he just, you know, didn't didn't make the moment too big. He just kind of went with it. These aren't like flashy touches. It's just solid football. It's patient and it's fantastic. It was really good to watch. Um, the Forest limited to a couple of chances and there was, I want to point out a fantastic save that Westwood does almost every game. Um, but there was a chance where we were just hammering for uh, Forrest going forward. Like you said, Matthias came close with uh, his, his chance at the 18-yard box, which was well saved. But then almost like down the other end straight away, uh, Joe Lolly had a great chance from about three or four yards out, which was just slammed at Westwood at point-blank range and stops the, stops the goal going in. And if that went in at that point, we could see heads drop after the, after the loss against Villa. Um, but again, Westwood uh, saves the day, and it's massive the impact he's made. I know we talk about almost every week at the moment, but I just I want to in a three 0 win, I think Westwood needs some uh, some credibility because we're going to talk a lot about the goals coming up next because there were some pretty um, very pretty goals in this match, um, and some pretty chances too. But at the first half ended at nil nil. Second half starts. Uh, I wouldn't say the build up to this goal was pretty, James, but um, the finish certainly was, wasn't it? <laughs> So somebody asked me, like, uh, just after we scored, you know, because um, when we're watching games at midway through the afternoon, there's always somebody who's actually got to do some work and, you know, can't watch the game live. Oh, what was the goal like? And it was uh, it was equal parts sublime and fucking terrible. Um, <laughs> principally because the finish from Matthias is sublime. But what on earth Forrester up to at that point? I've got no idea. They just kind of, they seem to kind of go on collective dereliction of duty, which is kind of a shame, actually, because they, they, I don't think they played badly in the first half. I thought it was kind of reasonably evenly matched. And as you said, um, and Steve Bruce highlighted this as well, I think, in his comments. You know, it was it was kind of an evenly poised game and, and could have gone either way. We got the first goal, that first goal changed the game. And the way it played out, I mean, you know, the ball's bouncing around in midfield. Forrest really haven't kind of capitalised on, on the drop ball. Matthias sees the goalkeeper off his line and for whatever reason kind of, you know, walk it off to go and get a Lucas aid or something and, and just wax it in from 30 yards with the edge of his right boot. It's, it's a beautiful finish. It just kind of looks daft because the keeper's not really covering it, the right side of his goal, but um, cracking finish, and it kind of set the tone for what was to come in the next 20 minutes. There wasn't really a lot of space for him to aim for. I mean, it was a bad kick, and the keeper didn't seem to take it that seriously that it had gone to Wednesday play, and just kind of was waddling back to the goal line, but he had it pretty much, it was pretty central, the keeper. I think it just took him off guard, almost. Um, yeah, he was almost frozen. So... Yeah, great, it was a great, honestly, it was great. I don't always look or judgment, but I'll give it to you a tip of my hat because I think that was a fantastic finish. And then Mr. George Boyd comes in again. After That's a... Owls America's Player of the Year. <laughs> Please. Player of the Week, maybe. I might stretch to Player of the Week, Mike. Nothing else than that. Um, but what, a, what a fantastic goal this was. A, 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 like a 
lovely kind of layoff from Joao with a header just softened right in his path. He takes one well, touch. it even started. Bef- Sorry, ahead. it even started before that. I mean, this was a missed. This was a missed free kick at the at the other end, and Westwood uh, rolled it out there. Um, and I don't even know who picked it up from Westwood, but that you know volleyed it up there. Joao got the header, and um, once again a streaking George Boyd moving down the field. Um, just took it and blasted it. It was great. So I've got a theory about George Boyd, and. Uh... Does it involve streaking? Uh, it doesn't involve streaking, but I, now that's in my head, I don't think I'll ever get it out of there. Um, but over the last two and a half games, there's been a striking difference in his appearance and a striking difference in the way he's played too. He's gone for the double bun, man bun and headband combo, which is, I'd say, risky uh, at a start. But what it's done is he can see out of, I won't say out of both his eyes, we all know he's, well, he's blind in one eye, he can see out of his good eye really well now. So I've got a theory that he's playing for the first 12 months of his career Wednesday, not being able to see a fucking thing because his hair's in his way. And now he's got a, the whole bun and headband combo. Boom. You can see he's brilliant. Why hasn't he tried this previously? You've got to be careful with the, the phrase bun theory, though, haven't you? I mean, which is what you're basically coming up with here. Because, I mean, you're getting preciously close to the theory of Portuguese tarts as well, which, uh, which is that ever since... Uh, <laughs> Uh, j- just to qualify, ever since uh, Marco Matias started selling Portuguese tarts, he's uh, he started being a bit more effective in the first team. Um, yeah, it, but listen to be fair, Paddy. Uh, one member of this podcast has uh, has been kind of patient and and gently suggesting that George Boyd might have a role to play and is quite a skilled footballer. Another member has been highly sceptical until he changed his haircut. So um, I'm glad that you've seen the light with Boyd. But there's no question that you know what he's. What he's definitely seeing the advantage of, I think, is is Steve Bruce's faith in you know the ability that he's had in the past and playing him in that in that left wing role, right, or left midfield role where they take advantage of space and and they play him in uh, when you know when the the opposition defence are pushed up, and that's exactly what happened for his uh, for his goal. You know, as you said, Mike Forrest will push forward, the ball goes forward quickly. Uh, from Wednesday, the cushion header from Zhao is superb, and the finish from Boyd is it was one of those kind of like I was sat watching it on my own at home the uh, everyone was out out of the house and like I was off the sofa and kind of shrieking into uh, into a void because it was such a great great finish um you kind of feel like we should have seen more of that over the last 18 months from George Boyd but at the death with you know precious few games to go he's he's making a case for the fact that maybe we should consider him for uh, for another contract no, for next year do not even say those words we should not be considering another contract at the end of this contract. Well, let's finish the Forest review and then we should have this conversation because I think it's it's getting to the point where we do need to talk about some of these out-contract players. Okay, so actually, that's a very good uh, point. We'll come to that one. But, um, so on for my bun theory, let's put your tart theory to uh, a good uh, test here. Matthias uh, grabbed his second after a wonderful build-up. Um, I said on the WhatsApp group of New York Hours... Um, Watching Hooper control the ball is up there with any kind of sexual practice you want to give me. I swear, it is absolutely just gets me moist from all angles. It's fantastic. Take from there. Speechless. <laughs> James, James has left. No, no, no I'm still comp- here. I, was, I, I thought Hooper's Mike might comp- pick up battle on that one. Uh, I will, I will, I will, I'll run with that, and I'll say Cooper is, Hooper is a competent veteran, and I'm glad to see him back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a pro. Um, I'm sorry, buddy. I'm going to stay with your superlatives. Uh, just to be clear, I don't want to give you any sexual positions, um, but I, I do agree with you that the uh, the way that um, Hooper handles his first touch is sublime. Can I say that? You can first touch me anytime. His his, his first touch puts a yard between him and any other man. Um, certainly in terms of what he does on a football field. Anyway, the goal. Uh, <laughs> Matias is second. Yeah, how the hell have we got onto this? Let's, uh, we, we were talking about Portuguese tarts a second ago. I'm getting all get flustered. I'm getting all flustered thinking about Gary Hooper's touch. Um, but yeah, Matias's tart theory. Uh, second goal of the game. He could have had a trick if it wasn't for the f- uh, fine, fine save early in the first half. Um, and it was just good persistence, really. It was a fantastic little touch from Hooper. Through to Joao, back heel, boom, through on goal. Good save, I thought. And then uh, Matias follows it up. Uh, at that point, we were on fire. So, um, yeah. So, tart theory versus bun theory, James. Which do you go for? Uh, I, I like a tart and a bun, preferably <laughs> at the same time. And, and that's what we got against Forrest, right? <laughs> yep, the tart and bun combo. 
It was actually a tart sandwich if you really want to kind of put it in there. <laughs> All right, um, that's it. So we we escaped from that um, like that match without any more injuries, but um, we do go into uh, the next game carrying a few. Oh, we did see actually a, a cameo from uh, Lazar at the end, didn't we? So there's some positive injury news. So Lazar came on and for the last like what 10, 15 minutes, uh, and I thought had a pretty good cameo. Um, obviously, Hooper came back in for the last twenty minutes. So, uh, so do you think Bannon's going to be ready for the Leeds game, James? Uh, it's kind of tricky. I mean, I haven't actually seen kind of a formal injury update. I think um, the last I saw was after the game on Saturday when I think early in the week he said he was waiting for scans and and Bruce confirmed that as well. Maybe I've not been paying attention, Mike. I don't know if you've seen anything uh, more detailed than that. But no, nothing. Yeah, it, no news. It might be a stretch for him to be back. You know, if it, if it is, um, if it's something that kind of requires him to kind of go down to London and get scans off and, and stuff, you know, he's missed a bit, fair bit of training. We, I'm going to be honest, I, I, I thought we managed okay without him on Saturday. So, you know, maybe we'll all be a little bit more understanding when we see the lineup on Saturday uh, late morning in the US. And also on the yeah, English... that... Sorry, go on, Mike. No, I was just going to say, I think we need to, to appreciate that in a game without Bannon and Hutch, that, you know, I think Adam Reach really did a lot of the a lot of the dirty work in this game that really held it together so um you know i mean let's let's hope these injuries don't linger but um it's not so bad yeah and also on the injury list as well we've got ayofa um any update on his injury i didn't think it was that serious um but it's good to see lazar back at least um i haven't heard anything else you guys heard anything else from ayofa i'll take silence as a no uh um so Hutchinson is just out uh, with sickness, wasn't he? So he should be back for Leeds, I hope. Um, who else we got out? Aaron's doesn't sound like he's making a comeback anytime soon, unless you guys have heard anything different. Uh, the last time I saw um, Aaron's, he was playing the piano with Paul Carrick. So um, that doesn't really tell you anything about his fitness. But I, I don't think we necessarily got the impression that that was like a fundamentally serious injury. Um but it's again, been, it's I haven't been a few had... weeks now, hasn't it? So, well, it's been a week and a half, hasn't it? Because he pulled up, you know, right before the start of the Stoke game. So, look, when Wednesday aren't, aren't good, and I guess maybe most, you know, teams at our level don't make a big deal of of disclosing exactly what injuries are where because it gives us the element of surprise. But, you know, what what I think we should take some heart from is uh, is the speed at which we've been able to rehabilitate the latest injury of Gary Hooper, and he, and actually he's come back looking much sharper than I think we could possibly have expected for the time he's been out. Um, you know, Kieran Lee actually made it through an under-23s game without breaking down. So, um, I, look, I don't want to tempt fate. I'm going to find some some wood to touch in uh, my tiny closet. And um, wait, wait, no, it's, it actually has wooden shelves. Don't worry. Oh. Um, just to like avoid any, uh, any inference. Yeah, his movement is sublime. Um, but look, we seem to be doing a little bit better in terms of getting our players back healthy. So, you know, Lazar's has come back pretty um, pretty quickly. I think, you know, what, four or five weeks since he, uh, he injured his hamstring, looked looked in good form. Um, so I don't, I don't know what, you know, the status is on a couple of players, but what I think we can be confident of is we've got a squad that seems to be able to perform and respond to the direction of their coaching staff. So I, don't, I, don't, I think if anything, the last four days has taught us we should trust the management team and maybe spend a little bit less time being as reactive as we are as fans. No, I think that's definitely fair. So let's talk about the playoffs. So we've, we've, we've skirted around the subject over the two reviews of the games. We're, we now sit in 10th place. Um, I believe we're six points away from sixth place. Um, is there still a dream? Is there still a squeak? What are your opinions? I'll go to James first. I'll go and go to Mike first. <laughs> go on, Mike. Then James is giving up. Okay. I I am resounded the fact that this team is going to keep trying to win, um, and I'm resounded the fact that we're going to head into the QPR game and we're going to be mathematically alive along with three other teams, and we're going to have the worst goal differential, and um, <laughs> we're going to need a lot to happen. So I think that's I unfortunately I think that's it's going to drag on a little bit longer. Um, Mike's, Mike's but the dream until going. then, until then, I'm going to dream. Um, I, I think we all have this magic dream that West Brom is suddenly going to rocket to number two, and we're going to wipe out Leeds and United in the playoffs. But we'll see. 
And I don't even know if that's mathematically possible. I don't think it is anymore. I think West Brom is on a downward spiral, unfortunately. James, go on then. Uh, is your dream still open? Uh, no. <laughs> um, well, I, I, let's be realistic, right? There's, there's five games to go. Yes, it's mathematically possible. So, so we should be, you know, we go, we go into Saturday and we, we want to win that game. Of course we do. Um, you know, we give it our all until, until it's not possible. But the reality is we're, we're six points shy. Our goal difference means we're, we're probably seven points shy. I think Bristol City still have a game in hand on us, do they? Yeah. Um, so, you know, that gap could be as big as nine points with five to play. It it would be a probably, I mean, it's already almost un- unprecedented in terms of us making up the gap and, and kudos to Wednesday for doing so. But it would be quite incredible circumstances to see us win those final five games and see not only Bristol City, but also Derby and Middlesbrough and possibly even Villa, you know, fall apart the, the way they would need to for us to close it. We keep on going until then. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, but I don't think we should be worried about that. What I'm actually quite excited about is, is kind of, as you said earlier in the segment, Paddy, I thought we matched Villa entirely throughout the game on Saturday. I thought we were clearly a superior side to Forest, who earlier in the season were being heralded as, as promotion chasers. We held Stoke, who I thought were a much better side than the league position describes. You look at the course of the season, second half of the season, where we're up there with, uh, with only United and, and Norwich ahead of us in terms of our total form. Um, we should have no fear going into these final five games. And they're, they're a chance for us to test out a few more players to kind of get things ready and to build momentum for next season. So um, I might not think the playoffs are necessarily on, but I do feel much, much better about the future of Wednesday. I don't think I can disagree with that. So um, let's get let's tidy up the rest of the Wednesday news section. Um, I don't know if everyone saw this. It was a small rumour on one of those usual ITK sites. Uh, Joao told that he could leave in the summer. Um, there's rumours of him being offered around different clubs. Uh, this actually leads us on to uh, the conversation you want to get to about um, who we should retain. Um, so if we can get some de- decent cash for Joao, would you let him go, Mike? It's so crazy because everyone now seems like they're turning it around and playing for their contracts. Um I would keep him. Uh, yeah, I, I would. I would fight to keep him. I think he's just he brings a, a different element to the game. Um, I think that you know, just that that near header that he got at the beginning of the, the Forest game just really showed off. But you know, his athleticism is something that I think it adds a new dimension that we could really appreciate. What about? I'm going to give you a more tough one then. Uh, what about George Boyd? Oh, I love George Boyd. You say you love George Boyd? No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, it's uh, so rang- so so angry. That wasn't very good hosting by me, was it? I'm pretty sure I had this conversation with you guys back in November, December, <laughs> and it was like gone, 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 gone. And now it's like, well, it seems like Bruce seems to, you know, be the player whisperer. Who knows what? Who who gets the best out of these guys? Um, now I'm happy to let George Boyd slide. James, over to you. Um, on the retain list, uh, who's top of your list? Uh, give me an unpopular opinion who you would keep. An unpopular opinion as to who I would keep. I would keep George Boyd. What is going on with you two? He's had two good games. Why? No, but that's just it. I, so, so, so the reason why I say that is I would keep him on a much, much retained contract. Like George Boyd has, you know, was signed on a offer Premier League deal from Burnley, and um, we've paid him way too much for the last two years. I don't think he can command a contract at a championship level of that magnitude with any club. Um, I do think he can do a job, and I think he knows Steve Bruce, and I think Steve Bruce knows him. So I would tempt him with probably about a 50% cut in wages and see if we can we can make that work for him for 18 months or two years. He should um, be paying us for he, the performances they put in for the last 12 months. Yeah, we well, some cash. So, so here's the thing. I, I, I think actually, on, when he's been asked to, he's he's quite frequently done the job he needed to. I just don't think I think he's been played out of position a lot. So that's that's my unpopular opinion. My very popular opinion, though, Paddy, is we need to get Kieran Westwood signed up now. Um, look, we talked about this at the beginning of the season. When you have a keeper of his capability in this league, regardless of his personality or whatever else the hell it was that Joss didn't want around the club, you need him in the team because look what he's done since he's been back. Right? I mean, that is absolutely cast iron if you want to challenge in the championship next year sign Kieran Westwood to a contract and make it work financially uh, George Boyd by the way is 33 years old 
and you two want to keep him for another year. Have a have a solid think about that, and then come back and tell me you're wrong, because you guys have gone insane. You pay him like a thirty-three year old. I'm with James. Pay him like a thirty-three year old. I tell you, he owes us money. Anyway, I'll, <laughs> you've upset me now. <laughs> uh, the last. Let's bit move on news. to the next topic. <laughs> next topic will bring a laugh to your face. Last uh, laugh to your face. Last bit of Wednesday news. Uh, our old friend uh, Yas Lukai has found himself a new job. And um, surprisingly, <laughs> um, it's to our old friend James Marriott's uh, second club, St. Pauli, uh, which is frankly hilarious. So um, good luck watching uh, another Jos Luke side, James. Uh, we're all with you, I'm sure. What, what does anyone think about this, James? Um, weird appointment, right? This is a weird appointment. Well, it, that's just it, though. It, it isn't. I mean... It... It is from our point point of view because he literally is now like the you know the name on everyone's lips when you talk about worst Sheffield Wednesday manager ever. Even though his record, by the way, isn't as bad as as some some managers, um, principally because of just the way he failed to adapt to Wednesday and didn't get the culture, didn't get the fan base, and you know drove us into <laughs> to an absolute cliff at the beginning part of this season. Um, it's not a weird appointment because he's proven at that level in that league with teams. Uh, I don't want to say bigger, but certainly with with a bit more maybe kind of, you know, track record of success than FC St. Pauli. Um, he knows the Bundesliga too. He has teams promoted out of there into the Bundesliga in the past. He, you know, clearly is a bit more effective at speaking German than he is at speaking English and engaging with playing staff accordingly. Um, so it'll be interesting. I think the the concerning point for any St. Pauli fan is that for, for listeners who aren't familiar and um I think actually, you know, a lot of fans in America are remarkably familiar because they've got an incredible international fan base. This is a very unique club in terms of its uh, its fan culture. You know, it's uh, got a huge, um, you know, agenda in terms of its kind of approach to, um, you know, equal rights and uh, political um, kind of equivalents. And it it is a very sensitive club. Um, and what he spectacularly failed to do at Wednesday was to recognise that Wednesday is a very sensitive club as well, and you have to play the fan base very carefully in order to keep them on side. So, hopefully, he's learnt a few lessons, um, and maybe he can replicate a bit of that success. I actually thought Wednesday was going to be his last job, so I'm just amazed to see him back in football, to be honest. But yeah, the serendipity is incredible. And that's partly what I meant by weird. He was on the verge of retiring, wasn't he, before he took the Wednesday job? And uh, I say, Sam Pauli, I say, is it a massively spoiled? kind of uh, wears its beliefs on its sleeve, uh, massive personality, which is the opposite of Jos Lukai. So he best do well on the pitch, otherwise he's not going to be well liked at all by the fans. Um, so, But, I mean, all the best to Sam Pally. I like them as a, as a club, but uh, my God, they're going to need some luck because he's not a good manager. Is that it? That's, that's Wednesday news done. So we are going to a break, and when we come back, we are going to speak to our friend in Vancouver, uh, Matt Turner. I'll see you soon. So this evening on the Owls America's podcast, we have a guest from Vancouver who's not actually American, we'll bend in the rules slightly, uh, but he's been in Vancouver for eight years now, It's uh, his name's Matt Turner. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Um, you are from Sheffield, uh, how early on were you a Wednesday supporter, and did your family all follow Wednesday? First of all, welcome, I'm glad to be here, thanks for inviting me. Um, when did I start being a Wednesday fan? Well, it's one of those things, right, you're born into it, eh? Um, I went to my first game when I was about 12, I think, Ipswich Town, if I remember. Um, probably not a very big crowd for that one. But, um, yeah, I went with my brother and uh, my dad was always a fan. The whole family were fans, basically. So I guess that's what you kind of, that's how you kind of get into it, right? Um, <clears throat> and surprisingly, all my friends were fans. So it's kind of, well, you just do what they do, right? Um the best friend, though, my best friend, who's been my best friend for 40 years now, he's he's on the dark side, so he's a blade, but um, I, I do forgive him for that. So, so yeah, it's been it's been a while. I'm 46 now, so I, I guess from about 11, 12. But even before that, right, I remember listening to the radio when I was like seven years old, 
to like Jeff Johnson and Roger Wilde and players like that, you know, back in the late seventies. So uh, even though I never got to see those players, I, uh, I I listened to it on the radio back then, right? So yeah, it's been a while for sure. And it's been uh, painful along the way and glorious <laughs> in spots. <laughs> right? so, the typical kind of Wednesday upbringing then, really, Matt. I mean, we have some great stories from American fans on our podcast around they just got into us because they liked owls and the grandma liked owls and spoke to her about owls. So I think that's more of a kind of typical Wednesday fan upbringing than the regular American fans we have in here. So. Sure, I would I would class that as certainly as traditional, right? That's usually <laughs> yeah. the route it goes. I, I don't think there's any surprises in that synopsis, right? It's uh, uh, the usual narrative, yeah, for sure. It's a it's a little understood fact actually, and Mike Mike will bear this up that uh, all Sheffield Wednesday fans who were born in Sheffield all just had a, a natural love of owls, which are prolific in Sheffield. You can find them in any back garden at any moment in time. Yeah, I, I didn't want to mention that for Mike, but because he, he knows that anyway, right? So uh, that's, that's a given, I guess. It, it's become part of American right. supporting folklore, but Canadians are wise to it, you know, being the smarter of the uh, of the northern <laughs> oh, American okay, gotcha. uh, breed. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's taught in all the universities here, Mike. Okay, awesome. I'm looking forward to this. So, um, so, so you, you did mention your first game. Um, do you have any super memorable games, either um, days away or um, at, from Hillsborough that just stick out? Or any famous games that we would, some of us would remember? Oh, well, you know, my favourite game of all time has to be the 1993 Cup semi-final against Sheffield United, where we uh, won 2-1. But the most thing I remember about that game was actually not so much the game itself, but... Um, Travelling up the M1 and passing all their all their coaches on the way back and uh, just laughing hilariously for four hours. Uh, <laughs> that, that 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 just seemed to be my favourite memory. But yeah, the game itself and the day out and you know I don't know if you'll ever see that again, right? Eighty thousand in London, all from Sheffield, one half red, one half blue, and the result, right result at the end of the day. But you know I can even even the smaller games like away at Mansfield when some guy climbing the uh, the floodlights and the game being stopped for five minutes while the police are trying to talk him down. You know, it's little, little things like that, right, that are just uh, sticking the memory. Um, and just the away days were always the best, right? They were they were always the, the, there's a bit of a camaraderie, right? There's like a couple of thousand of you and you're outnumbered kind of thing, but you, so you sing louder and you have a few more beers and, yeah, it's all, all good fun. So, you know, there's probably too, too many things to mention, but those two I mentioned kind of stick out more than most i reckon great so sorry and one more actually i've just thought of chelsea away cup semi-final when we won two nil um again not so much for the game which was great but um going down the king's road towards the chelsea supporters on the coach and just seeing one wednesday fan in one of those one of those old Sheffield Wednesday Umbroker ghouls, like waving at us, but no idea that there's like 300 Chelsea fans just round the corner. We were like trying to turn to turn back, and I, I always wondered what happened to that guy. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was the uh, the '91 League Cup semi-final, was it? Uh, I think it was. Matt. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it I'm was. trying to think of another time we beat down to Chelsea and won two nil in the, uh, in the <laughs> cup. That's about the only time I can think of it. Cracking yeah. stuff. Yeah, that was a good tracksuit as well. That one. That was. Yeah, it was one of the best. Yeah. Right? Going for like 300 bucks on eBay these days. Um, so I suppose we should probably kind of uh, turn to the fact that you you don't live in Sheffield anymore. You live in Vancouver, right? So, um, which is a beautiful city, by the way. Um, mm, I'm still trying to find you. a reason to, to move there, but I haven't found a job that pays enough. So, uh, so we'll leave that on one side <laughs> for a second. But um, how long have you been in Vancouver, and uh, and kind of how you know how does it how do you fare trying to follow Wednesday out there? Because a bit like Mike, you're at the the far extreme of the American time zones. Yeah, for sure. It's um... Well, yeah, I've been here I've been nine years in August now. I came here in 2010, August 2010. So um, time has flown. And um, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. The, the time zone thing you mentioned there is is hugely significant. You know, um, being the age I am now, I'm not inclined to be drinking beers at 7 a.m. right when I'm listening to the or watching the game. So it's it's not the routine's kind of really different, right? It's usually sipping a coffee. Uh, watching it on the iPad. Uh, Speak for yourself, uh, there, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just doing this for for showbiz reasons, right? Really, I'm down the pub, and uh, but that's the thing, right? Showing the games in the pub, it's not like back home where you could pop it on Sky occasionally, or you know, it, it, it getting it on TV here is uh, 
kind of tricky, right? So going down a pub and watching it is a, is a rare occasion. But um, often it's, you know, watching iFollow or DAZN, uh, watching it on the iPad at home with a coffee, a bit of breakfast. Um, because I don't know any Owl fans kind of local to me as much. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of a lonely experience, quite a solitary <laughs> one, right? So you, you sat in your sadness and your joy, uh, more sadness than joy lately, but... Um, you know, it's it's yeah, it's an interesting experience, right? Bleary eyed at five a.m. sometimes when we're playing Leeds, right? Uh, and yeah, just getting up and, and trying to trying to focus on the game at that time of day. You, you did have um, oh. I noticed that no. um, you did have your first meetup though, didn't you? This year in uh, in January against Chelsea. Uh, so you did have one uh, experience where you got all together, put the laptop behind the bar. How did that go? Pretty good, actually. Uh, pretty good. It was it was. Bizarre in the sense that it wouldn't happen in England, right? You wouldn't go to a Chelsea bar and watch it with all the Chelsea fans, right? <laughs> uh, and, uh, I, well, not uh, if you're wearing a nice Umbro retro tracksuit. Yeah. <laughs> no, certainly not. I uh, I think I put a status update on Facebook on the morning saying a Sheffield Wednesday fan walks into a Chelsea pub. There is no punchline, right? Um, and, and, and But it was lovely, right? I mean, it's just that North American experience where... You know, I always find sports here are more of a spectator and a, a spectator event rather than a tribal one, right? So people are there to have fun and socialise. So it was a really nice welcome by the Chelsea lot and they, they gave us a free beer and uh, took 20% off our bill and put us a little, little table in the corner where we could make our own noise. And I think there was five of us that showed up, but, you know, like Field of Dreams, yeah, build it and they welcome. Yeah, it's a pretty good <laughs> yeah, start. Now, now had... Had the uh, had the five of you? Had you guys ever met in person or even met virtually before this? Uh, no, no, uh, we we hadn't. I, I don't think um, we'd connected online at all. It was through the Owls Americas group and yourself, Mike and Paddy, who kindly set all that up for us, being the uh, the conduit, if you like, to that. And then going down there was great. It was nice to connect and swap stories of years of old, right, and places where we used to live and. Uh, what one funny story? One of the five was actually a guy from North Vancouver, who was called Matt, who uh, actually lived in Sheffield for one year on Ecclesall Road and decided he thou shall be a Wednesday fan, and uh, he has been ever since. And uh, he recognised me from my first year I landed in Vancouver. He'd seen me at a Whitecaps game, and I think we'd exchanged a few words. And he remembered that exchange from eight years ago, and I didn't have a clue who he was. So. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> right. Were they good words or were they, uh, were they angry words? <laughs> He's Canadian, so they were really polite, nice words. Oh, very nice. <laughs> but he, uh, he actually brought a bottle of Endersons as well for, for, the, for, the, for the breakfast, right? So it was kind of neat that he got that little slice of home with him. Yeah. That's nice. That, these, this, these That's success stories fun. bring a tear to mine and Mike's eyes when we're officially uh, setting up these little, um, like, like say, planting the seeds so you guys can go and meet up uh, and yeah. um, watch games together. So I'm glad that worked out all right for you, uh, yeah. for Matt. Yeah, and to be honest, we, we have no idea how far apart you all live from each other. And I know that that Chelsea time was, a, I think it was a 10 a.m. kickoff, which was fantastic for us on the West Coast. But, um, yeah, I know for some of you guys, you guys may all live 40 minutes away from each other, which, again, I know Manhattan guys, it's nothing but... You know, That's the problem with you, Mike, though, isn't it, Paddy? You're, you're, you're both too emotional about this. You know, I'm, I'm the rational strategist, so I'm just like, well, why can't you get ten people next time? Well, let's do it twice a season. Yeah, come on, let's keep moving. All right, James, we've got some growth okay. goals for you there, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, just send me the send me the spreadsheet and all the charts and all that, and I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll figure it out for you, lads. All it requires you to do is go and find a local kids soccer team and just force them to wear Sheffield Wednesday shirts, and before you know it, you've doubled your fan base. There you go. I, there you go. That's, that's one of the marketing plans we'll implement for sure. Well, it brings us nicely on to uh, cool. actually the, one of the main reasons we got you on this podcast, Matt, because you shared this fantastic photo with the group uh, of something you call Sheffield Wednesday that happens on the first Wednesday of each month at your office. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we're, yeah, we're, yeah. We're going to share this on Twitter and on Facebook later. Uh, I love this. So, in, in Vancouver, absolutely miles away from Sheffield, uh, there's a group of people uh, headed by yourself. That I assume are being forced to wear Sheffield Wednesday shirts every Wednesday. <laughs> Can you explain that a little bit more? 
Well, you know, ironically, it's not being led by me. It's, it's strangely, it, so what happened was, I, I, obviously, that all my co-workers are Canadian and we're teachers, so we're teaching in this school. And uh, we decided that uh, a couple of times a month, we're going to have a lunch, we're all going to get together, we're going to theme it, and we're going to just have a bit of bit of fun, right? A bit of a party at lunchtime, just to jazz things up. And uh, it was actually one of my Canadian colleagues that came up with the idea of, hey, you're from Sheffield, you like Sheffield Wednesday kind of thing. Why don't we have a Sheffield Wednesdays like first Wednesday of every month? I said, "Well, how's that work?" And he said, "Well, you know, I'm just we'll all wear Wednesday shirts." And he, he's not, he's not even a football fan. This guy, so holy to... hell, this is brilliant, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? But but he's like into hockey. He's into NFL. He's a big sport. He, he knows sports as a general theme, right? So he's like, I'm explaining to him about Wednesday and the origins, and I'm sending him little videos, and he's getting into it. So then he's like, "Yeah, bring some shirts in. We'll all wear shirts and." So it just it kind of bewildering really because there's all who is this guy like coworker just suddenly going nuts. Matt, about I'm going to stop you right now. Can we hire <laughs> you as head of marketing for our Americas? <laughs> sure, I'm in. Yeah, well, I, I think you need to hire his coworker. <laughs> yeah, well, Daryl Nakashima, you're going to be listening to this, so you got a shout out there for starting the Vancouver branch. But uh, yeah. So we, I, we I want just... that guy in because I'm thinking in <laughs> a stroke we could uh, we could make this like a pan continental theme. We could have millions of fans. This All is we need want... is every school in America to have Sheffield Wednesdays. That's what, that's what I'm saying. So right, I think this is, is this could be a, a regular thing for across the workplace in the continent. So if everyone <laughs> starts implementing these Sheffield Wednesdays, where the first Wednesday of each month at your office you get uh, a few people to put on Wednesday shirts. You, everyone's got spare Wednesday shirts, different sizes. Uh, and then take photos, hashtag Owls Americas, Sheffield Wednesdays, fantastic. We've got a phenomenon so, coming on. Matt, does this go down to does this go down to cuisine as well? It does. <laughs> it, yeah, it, oh, it's the whole my. it's the whole shooting match, Mike. It was fish and chips, but I got slated by the the, the my friends in Sheffield saying, "Where's the mushy peas?" Because we missed them outright. <laughs> so <laughs> there's room for improvement, boys. There's room for improvement, of course. Just right? just channel the angel in uh, in Stradbrook and try <laughs> to think about kind of you know all of the different great cuisine that they would serve up on an average Wednesday afternoon. This is it. This is it. This is what I've got to do. I've got to refine it. I might get some pints of magnet in, you know, and uh, do the whole uh, do the whole shooting match. Yeah, but what was great? The best thing was I went I went to pick the the fish and chips up. I come back and they're all there in the shirts. And uh, he's only uh, Daryl's only gone and pulled up Iho silver lining. Right? And he's got that <laughs> brilliant. He's got he's he's got that plane as I walk in. Right, uh, how he'd figured that out? Because I'd not told him. He's like he's obviously done his research. So where to go for these Canadians, eh? I want to work at your place. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah, you know they're a good bunch. They're a good bunch, and they're, 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 you know, although one of the guys is an Arsenal fan, so he kind of begrudgingly wore a shirt. Right? But <laughs> he's the one not smiling in the photo. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we we I'll want to hear that guy on. I want to, I want to hear about on. an Arsenal yes. fan's experience of having to attend a Sheffield Wednesday's <laughs> lunch seminar. It's a different podcast, eh? <laughs> He's on another Arsenal fan podcast complaining about this guy at work making about Sheffield Wednesday t shirt every Wednesday. Vancouver, and the next thing I know, I'll be forced to wear a Wednesday shirt. I gave him the worst one as well. I gave him this really terrible yellow one that we had in the mid 90s, and the, uh, the, the sponsor's logo is all faded and it's kind of a bit tatty. So I stuck that one on him, and he, I don't think he liked that either. So That's all, all fair good. Oh. 1993, that. I think I, I, I fully <laughs> that choice, Matt. Yeah, well, yeah, I, st- I still hate them for that, right? I mean, I'll never get over it, but there you go. So what, where, where's this workplace? Can we give him a shout-out? Sure, absolutely. It's actually New Westminster Secondary School. So it's a suburb of Vancouver. Uh, it's it's actually the second largest school in British Columbia. It's massive. So, um, yeah, they, they get a shout-out. There you go. <laughs> awesome stuff. Uh, and we'll share that on Twitter and uh, Facebook, that photo too. And uh, maybe we can start... Uh, Sheffield Wednesdays across uh, America uh, every first Wednesday of the month. Across uh, the Americas, Paddy. That's Americas. what we've been making out of this since they originated it. Yeah, we went to school in Mexico with uh, full of <laughs> people wearing Wednesday shirts. <laughs> right. right. With some guy from Peru on next month talking about. Yeah. <laughs> keto, keto Wednesdays. Yeah, that's yeah. Keto Wednesdays. And it turns out his uncle lives in Woodhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's that Kevin Bacon thing, right? You know, six degrees of separation. It's going to happen. Wasn't Nobby Solano Peruvian? 
Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Maybe he lives in Woodhouse, but he's a Newcastle fan, I guess, these days. Anyway, uh, um, Wednesday should right. be fine. Should we get back to football? <laughs> Do we have to? We should probably talk oh, well, about the season, shouldn't we, Matt? Just, oh, yeah. uh, I, I guess, kind of to, to bring us home, it's been um, it's been a weird old season, hasn't it? Kind of, you know, we, we're talking about it on the pod this week. It's um, it's been like, as you said, a fair degree of sadness, and then. This uh, this back half of the season has actually been quite quite full of fun. Um, I guess kind of you know the question is what what's been your perspective on on Wednesday this year and um, and kind of what are your hopes as we close out the last few matches and as we go into 2019-20? Sure, yeah. Well, it's literally to come in a cliche, been a game of two halves, hasn't it? I mean, the first half of the year with um, with shall we not mention the the, the moustached one, right? You know, Joss was poor guy was a bit out of his depth, right? So. Um, yeah, terrible, terrible first half of the year. It just looked like it was going to go bad to worse. I was feeling relegation at one point, as we all were. Um, I kind of, I kind of tuned out to it all after a while. But then, uh, you know, once Steve Bruce had come back from watching the cricket, um, things just turned around, haven't they? And I think we've absolutely got the right man um, playing better football, uh, getting some players back from injury now, looking like the team we were, you know, kind of under Carlos a little bit. I mean, it's getting there, right? And uh, I think next season, next season, definitely. Uh, no reason why we shouldn't be top six or above. But um, I think this season, if I'm being realistic and honest, um, it's a long shot, right? It's a long shot. But uh, you you do but hope being a Wednesday fan. And um, there's that outside chance. But I really think we've got to win every game now and just hope for the best. Um, any more slip-ups and we're probably out of it. But yeah. No, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think we're all in the same boat. We're slow, slowly like hanging on to that last glimmer of hope. Um, but yeah, well, Mike, it's been absolutely fantastic speaking to you, mate. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'm sure we'll hear from you again in, in the future. All the best with your Sheffield Wednesdays. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. We'll uh, post that on uh, Facebook and Twitter later on. So, cheers, man. Yeah, thanks, boys. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, lovely, lovely to be here. And uh, hope to speak to you again soon. Take care. Okay, so next up we have Leeds. It's a 12.30 East Coast kickoff, 9.30 on the Pacific Coast. The big question on every Wednesday night's lips is, should we lose on purpose to mess with the Blades? Michael, <laughs> what's your opinion on this? I can never lose a game on purpose. I've never understood that. No, no way. James. Regardless of sport, regardless of rivals, nope. James, we discussed this <laughs> well, at, at New York over a few beers. I'm pretty sure you were talking about scoring on goals after the first minute, weren't you? So, so let, the difficulty <laughs> is the way you pose the question, Paddy. So, can we lose on purpose? No. Do we want to win the game? Yes. Do I feel incredibly torn about the impact of that outcome? Yes. Because let's just be clear for a second. Wednesday have an outside chance at the playoffs. Of course we want to win. We want to beat Leeds. I mean, fucking Leeds. Um, This is the ridiculousness of this season, that by beating Leeds, we would then put United, assuming they beat Millwall, they bloody should beat Millwall, back into an automatic promotion spot. And that, that feels very uncomfortable. And it feels very uncomfortable for a very simple reason, which is they don't fucking deserve to go up. <laughs> They're not worthy of the Premier League. That team does not belong in the Premier League, and especially not before Sheffield Wednesday, which is clearly the superior team in Sheffield. So I am I am emotionally wrought about this this game on Saturday, and I suspect a lot of Wednesday fans are. I think the only kind of good part of it is we'll be able to see the results before us and and know whether we need to throw the match for uh, for kind of the greater good. So who have United got on Saturday? They got Millwall, you say, oh. right? Uh, are they at home or away? Uh, they're at Bramall Lane. Alright, so, I mean, neither, they're both messed up a little bit recently. They're not, I would say, firing on all cylinders. I, I think we can comfortably smash leads uh, for our own good, and there's still four, four more games left where, as we all know, anything can happen in the Championship. So, uh, even though I keep posing the question to people, um, should we throw the game, I'm totally for smashing leads. Um, and I'll be gutted if we lose. 
It's as simple as that. Uh, and I think, like I said, there's, there's four games left of the season, so who knows what can happen after that. I don't necessarily think that our game against Leeds is going to be the match it all decides on. Um, there's obviously of course it won't be. It, it, it won't games. be. And, and look, when you boil it all down, if you ask any Wednesday fan, and certainly the three of us on this podcast, can we tolerate losing against Leeds? Could you enjoy the moment of seeing those crowing idiots oh. beating us? No, of course we <laughs> Flaming well could, and that's it, it. It is the worst possible bargain in history, you know. Um, and I just, I just blame the gods or whoever has conspired to this ridiculous situation by which the top three <laughs> contains two of the most repulsive clubs in British football, let alone in the Championship. Yeah, I, I had to write a, a blog post for the Toffee Club this week. Hopefully, it'll be up tomorrow. And and the, the ultimate title we went with was "The Enemy of My Enemy Is Complicated." <laughs> and I, I, that's how I feel right now. It's it's going to sting. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a crappy Sophie's choice. Um, I mean, how bad? And let's just add the other layer. We're rooting for Millwall. Oh, Goodness sakes. Yeah, it, this season has seen me root for teams that uh, I would never usually uh, pay give a shit about. But and it's sad now that we're going to have to root against somebody going up rather than root for us going up. I don't like rooting against teams, even United. Uh, I've, even those people that watch the scores and watch the, uh, the blade scores every week, week in, week in, week out, I'm not one of those, one of those people. I always look at the Wednesday score first. United, I don't really give a damn much about. Obviously, I would rather us go up before they go up. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a tough few weeks. Um, but okay, we're all we're all aligned on the fact that we should be going hell for leather to beat Leeds. So a more serious question: um, Do you think do you think we can beat Leeds? Um, I'll go to I'll go to James first. James. Yeah, we can entirely beat Leeds. Um, look, this is the oddity of the championship this season. If you, I mean, I, I think we we referenced it earlier on, but you look at the second half of the season, and we are right up there with Leeds and United as uh, and Norwich as as the best teams in the division. Our form since December is better than Leeds. Uh, when we played Leeds, even under Yoss, we you know we held them at Hillsborough. Yes, they they had you know far more possession and probably created more chances, but we you know we we were a match for them. We were a match for anyone in this division, and at this point in the season, we've proven that we're as good as any team in this division. So yeah, we can go there and win. Um, you know, we've got absolutely nothing to fear from them. I think you know Bielsa has has got them playing far better than they played in recent cycles. It's a question of can they hang on for promotion? Can they grind out those results? Um, they lost at Birmingham away. I mean, I, I don't think that necessarily marks them out as a great side. So we shouldn't have any fear. Yeah, I'm on the same. I'm on the same page. Not only no fear, I'm actually looking forward to this as a game because I think this is this is, should be a should be a great game. Um, I hope it's not. One of those horrible, great game anticipations that ends up in a, a nil-nil draw. But I think this should be this, sh- this should be a lot of fun just to watch. Yeah, I think so. And uh, let's let's move on to the meetups. And uh, so this week we have three meetups for the Leeds game. Uh, we are in the football factory. It's a lovely twelve-thirty kickoff for Eastern Coast. Um, Mike, where are you going to be? Yes, we will be at Portland. We'll be at the Trophy Club, Southeast Hawthorne. So uh, we'll be there actually two for next week. So preview for next week. We'll be there for the uh, Leeds and Norwich as well next week. Fantastic stuff. So um, also in Leeds, uh, meeting up our um, our New Orleans group, of course. They're at Finn McCool's. Uh, Again, that is a 11.30 their time. And like we said, we'll talk about Norwich next week's podcast, but it's a Friday afternoon game next week too. So if you are thinking about uh, starting a group uh, or going to the pub to watch the game, both of these games are on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, a lot of sports bars carry it. Just go there. Let us know, and we'll spread the word. Um, some uh, sad news now, I'm afraid. So um, we, um, we had an email last week from a fan down in Georgia. Uh, a, a Wednesday fan has been in an accident um, uh, and is in a, a terrible state. Uh, he needs uh, some help to pay for his um, his hospital bills in America. He's a big Wednesday fan uh, from Sheffield, plays soccer in Georgia. Uh, his name is Will Fraser Gray. Uh, he had a bad car crash. Uh, he's currently had two surgeries on his skull. Um, so uh, the GoFundMe for this, if you want to support him, is uh, GoFundMe.com slash Will Dash Fraser, which is with an S, Gray, G R A Y. Um, that was from his friend Joseph Bell, so thanks, Joseph, for getting in touch with us for that. 
Um, lastly, oh no, that's it. So, thanks for joining us. You're doing really well at this hosting, Lark, Paddy. Well done. <laughs> thanks. We survived. Um, I barely um, even realised it was happening. It was just like a dream. Uh, <laughs> our podcast and intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdayites, Reverend and the Makers. Our podcasts can be found on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There is no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume Owls Americast, we ask that you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. Uh, you cannot call Google Voice anymore because it is dead. James is on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. James, we've had a question from Stephen Peck um, about loan signings. Uh, who do you think has had the biggest impact as our loanee players over the years? Pick your favourite. I had to think about this so hard, Paddy. Um, you know, we <laughs> literally probably seen more players on loan at Hillsborough in the last twenty odd years than we have seen players <laughs> that have actually been on staff, right? Um, but th- there's no question there is only one lone player who has just lit up Hillsborough, um, you know, like the little magician that he is. Um, you know, he, he came with a pedigree of, um, you know, uh, unlike any other Wednesday player that has, has existed before or since. Uh, we all hold him close in our hearts and, and we remember his contribution. Um, and obviously he's gone on to, to be one of the greatest footballers of all time. And that, that can only be uh, Barcelona B striker Rodri. <laughs> he was he was signed on a season long loan in uh, in 2012 and um, yeah, where is he wow. now? What a player! <laughs> I uh, I commend Rodri to the Hall of Wednesday loan fame. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm not even going to follow. Up. We have time. Mike is on Twitter at the Cascade uh, Cascadia Owls. Mike, who is your favourite loanee over the years? I'm going to keep it simple and make it a, a nice shout out to my son who will not ever give up on Chelsea. So let's go with Michael Hector. Very good choice. Uh, I am Paddy Jones. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Paddy A. Jones. Apparently for talk about music acts at wear skinny jeans and at New York Isles for Wednesday grousing. Um, uh, my favorite loney is, uh, I'm going to go with an American link. It's uh, Kenwin Jones who scored like what, 10 goals in like 10 games for us on loan. And uh, he was at um, MLS team up until recently. So, yeah, I love Kevin Jones. I wish we could have signed him. He's very old now. Uh, thanks for joining us, guys and girls. Uh, we'll be back next week with more Owls Americast. Bye! <laughs>